0: Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, welcome back to our uh, seventh episode in this conversation we're having, kind of overviewing the Old Testament. And I think with each episode, we keep biting off more and more text where we're speeding up as we go. So as we go through Leviticus and the first part of Numbers today, again, we're just kind of skimming along the surface, kind of surveying, hey, look over there. That's what's in this section, and look over there, and here's a summary of that section. Uh, We hope this will be helpful to you as you uh, read on your own time, and I think something that's important as we navigate this section of Scripture to note is that God is in the process of making a covenant with a physical nation of people, Mm -hmm. with Israel. Uh, This section of the Bible kind of comes under fire a lot, sometimes from uh, unbelievers who say, the Bible has all these crazy laws about the clothes you wear and the food you eat and like all this arbitrary stuff. And there's a, a misunderstanding about the covenants and the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And one of the things we're going to see today is that in the book of Leviticus, there are a lot of laws and some very specific things, honestly some pretty weird things. But they all point to God's holiness. But one of the things we understand living as Christians today under the new covenant of Jesus is that these laws were specifically for the physical nation of Israel, In the Old Testament, and they're not laws for all people of all time. There's principles here for all people of all time. In fact, the second greatest commandment comes from this book. Um, But when we're talking about the food laws or like what you wear or sacrificing different kinds of animals, we're not expected to follow all of the specific regulations mentioned in this book. And so I just just want to say that out loud kind of as we start into this section, um, just so we kind of understand the expectation uh, that God's laying down here.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I also just want to say, uh, as we are doing the flyover, we're we're hoping that this is encouraging people to slow down and read the text in their own time as well. And so by all means, um, as you hear us give an overview of some of the chapters we're looking at or sometimes zeroing in, on your own time, uh, read back through those chapters. And we want to encourage dialogue between us and you as you listen. And so if you have any questions, if you've got anything to think about or want us to think about, you can send those in. Um, Stephen, at the end of this episode, will give our contact information. And so feel free to always send in questions or comments or anything you want to discuss from these overviews of, of Bible history. Yes. Um, so more than welcome to do that. So, Stephen, getting into the book of Leviticus... Um, We had just come out of the book of Exodus. We'd kind of ended on a high point, hadn't we? Um, With God having told the Israelites how to build this tabernacle where he could dwell with them. And at the end of the book of Exodus, it was move-in day. Um, God's glory filled the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. Um, It's a really cool scene that we mentioned we'll see in other temple scenes as well in the Old Testament. And then we move into the book of Leviticus. Um, And I think one of the first questions to ask is, is... why is it called the Book of Leviticus? Like that's it's not really a word you see outside of Bible-y things. So where where does Leviticus come from here?
0: Yeah. So if you look at the word, you see the name Levi mm. in the book Leviticus, and a lot of Leviticus is going to have to do with regulations and laws surrounding the priesthood of Israel, and again of those twelve sons of Israel, Levi was the one that the priests would come from, specifically the family of a guy named Aaron, brother of Moses. Um, but that's where the, na- the book gets its name. Is These are like having to do with Levi. Uh, Leviticus is the
1: idea. Because these were going to be laws and things that they had to uphold as the priests of Israel. Mm-hmm. And not only the way that the sacrifices are done, but also telling people how to make those sacrifices. Or that's right. They were to instruct happened. the people. Priests yeah. were also teachers. We sometimes miss that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's why this book is called Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And one of the cool things
0: that was pointed out to me recently is at the very beginning of Leviticus in verse 1, it says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, and then he's going to talk about offerings for the next seven chapters. But if you go to the very beginning of the next book of the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, and look at the very first verse of Numbers, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. In the tent of meeting, mm-hmm. and gives him some more instructions. But Moses is unable to enter. We read last week at the end of Exodus, um, and he's, the Lord speaks to Moses from the tent at the beginning of Leviticus. But by the end of the book, when we start in Numbers, Moses is in the tent, which is kind of the goal of the book. Is mm-hmm. we're trying to approach the presence of a holy God. How can we do that? How can we make? How can atonement be made for us? and um, for us to be cleansed so that we can dwell with the Holy God. God has moved in among his people, but how can we then approach his presence is kind of the idea of Leviticus. Yes. So the first thing on uh, the, I don't know if the menu is the right word here, but the first thing in the lineup is sacrifices and the idea of atonement. And so the first seven chapters of Leviticus are going to have to do with these ritual sacrifices that are made. There's five major types of sacrifices. We're not going to go into detail about each one. But one of the main things about the offering of a sacrifice, now I will say there are some of the sacrifices that are not animals. There's a grain offering included here Mm -hmm. that's food. Um, But uh, for the most part, the shedding of blood is one of the main things about the sacrifices. And what's, what's so significant about that?
1: Uh, the life is lost. The, and specifically, we learn in Leviticus 17.11 uh, that life is in the blood. And it's in a very particular context there, but it really gives way to a very profound point that when blood is shed, it's representative of life being lost.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood.
0: And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Uh, we've seen a few sacrifices happen in the book of Genesis and Exodus, but it's never been like spelled out as yes. clearly as it is in Leviticus. Like this is why you're offering yes. an animal and the blood is being shed. This goes right back to the garden uh, when God gave them the one rule: don't eat of the tree. In the day you eat of it, you will surely. Die. Life is the price for sin. And so when atonement is being made, blood being shed, life being spilled, is the idea of okay, death is the penalty for sin. Death has to happen for there to be forgiveness of sin. Sin is covered, which is the idea of atonement. Um, It's paid for by this blood. Um, So that goes back to uh, the very beginnings of the fall. And again, as we're reading through this story, that's where we're going with all this. Yes, is, is is reversing the effects of the fall and looking to how can God forgive us? I think
1: that's a great way to put that because, like you said, we see many sacrifices in Genesis and in Exodus, um, starting with Cain and Abel. You know, we see some of the sacrifices that they were making, and some of the one of them was well pleasing to God; the other was not. Um, working all the way through to Genesis twenty-two, where Abraham is sent to. Sacrifice his son Isaac, but he stopped at the last second. And you see atonement, but you don't really see it spelled out like you said. I mean, in fact, you even see kind of like the substitution stuff going on. Instead of Isaac being sacrificed, there's going to be this ram caught in a thicket that's going to be sacrificed instead. And so if you're someone that's read the biblical text for the first time, you're kind of going, okay, so like this God wants sacrifices. He wants us to be sacrificing for him. But what does it do? Like, why are we doing it? Leviticus meets us and tells us, here's why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it'd be helpful just to kind of read the very first one that's talked about here in Leviticus. Leviticus 1, um, we'll pick up in verse 2. God said, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it, a male without defect, he shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's son, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the suet over the wood, which is on the fire that is on the altar. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh." So I think it's kind of helpful to read this first one because you see all the different characters and all the different parts of what's going on in the sacrifice. First and foremost, um, the first character is Yahweh. This sacrifice is to God of Israel, and it's given by somebody who is guilty of sin. This is where the idea of offering the sacrifice for atonement takes place. You also see in this uh, innocent lamb or goat or whatever have you that they're going to rest their hand on I think that's really symbolic of something, don't you? I think maybe it's it's symbolic of the transfer of sin or, or sin going to the animal that's going to be sacrificed. Yeah,
0: and, and you see this made a lot more explicit over in Leviticus 16 when it's talking about the Day of Atonement. And it says in Leviticus 16, 21, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sin, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. Um, so it's it just interesting to see that that's made a little more explicit in chapter sixteen. But I think when the the worshipper here puts their hand on the head of the the sacrifice, it may be the same idea of confessing sin mm-hmm. and, and a kind of a symbolic transfer of guilt from the person uh, to the animal, which, of course, has done nothing morally wrong. Animals can't make moral decisions like we can. Um, And then this animal is going to die in the place
1: of the worshiper and carry their sins. And then the final kind of piece to all this is the priests um, and what their role in this sacrifice is. Okay, so I think Leviticus 1 through 9 is really a good starter pack for sacrifices. You you see everyone that's involved in it. You've got Yahweh, obviously. You've got the person that's offering. You've got the priest. You've got the the animal that's being sacrificed, and you see all the roles in that. And that really gives way to the next six chapters of Leviticus as it goes through the different ritual sacrifices, um, depending on the different situations. Mm
0: -hmm, That's right. And, of course, some of this is going to read uh, very in a very dry way it is kind of a legal code and it goes through and details exactly what the priests are supposed to do with each offering this is where a lot of yearly Bible readings uh, get slowed yeah, down lose traction, <laughs> because it, it, is, it is kind of hard reading to, to work through this but if we're thinking about the principles behind these things I think it's really helpful for us uh, because there are important lessons being taught about sin and about holiness and about obedience as we walk through each of these things Um, which gets us to the next section of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapters 8 through 10, there is specific uh, laws given and stories given about the beginnings of the priesthood. Aaron and his sons are consecrated and offer kind of one of the first worship services. Um, And it goes well at the beginning, but then there's this famous story in Leviticus chapter 10 in which two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, uh, decide they're going to take things into their own hands. Um, and After the Lord has accepted a sacrifice at the end of chapter 9 and consumed it with fire from heaven, uh, read with me in Leviticus 10 and verse 1. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. This is a very sobering account of, I mean, two people who knew better had been given instruction about exactly how to do the sacrifices, deciding to not just totally do their own thing, but not get the fire from where they were supposed to. And the details are not given. It just says they offered strange fire or unauthorized fire, which the Lord had not commanded. And this is where we start to see God is not messing around here. Mm-hmm. He wants to have a relationship with his people, but it's on his terms. He's God and they are you know benefiting from him, but they're also his servants. And they can't just approach God in whatever way they feel like, whatever seems best to them. The same is true for us, even under the New Covenant. So Natum and Abihu, this is one example of God using um, someone's sin and folly, and he makes an example of them before uh, the other priests and kind of says, hey, listen. You don't mess around with me and, and do something that I did not command you to do. God doesn't have to go down the line and say, well, this is what I want and don't do this and this and this and this and this. Once He tells you, hey, this is what I want you to do, that prohibits the other things. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful with how we handle the will of God and His instructions that are given to us plainly, uh, God takes that seriously. And so this is a sobering account of uh, Nadeb and Abihu.
1: And I believe the Lord is consistent, but I also think it's not a coincidence that this happens when it does, and that it's recorded for us when it does. I mean, this is actually a pretty cool theme you can see throughout all of Scripture. When God lays down a law, someone breaks it, <laughs> and then God makes an example out of them to say, Hey, no, 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 this, this is not right. You, you need to follow exactly what I said. Mm -hmm. Um, and we saw the success they had back in the book of Exodus. Remember, we kept showing whenever God would tell them exactly how the tabernacle needed to be built, God would emphasize, this needs to be done exactly the way I said, and by the end of Exodus, it says that they built it to exactly the T that God said, and it worked. God moved into the tabernacle. He was pleased. So they've seen the pattern of the blessing that comes when they obey. Now here's an example of the the curse that comes when disobedience occurs. Mm-hmm. And this needs to serve as an example to the many Israelites that would have witnessed or known that this happened. And it needs to serve as a witness to us as well, that God is holy. He expects us to serve him um, exactly the way that he said. And if we don't have a word from God on what to do or how to do something, maybe we should steer clear of it.
0: Yeah, Amen. So in the next section of Leviticus, Leviticus chapters 11 through 15, we have a section on ritual purity. And this is one of the famous sections with the food laws in it, uh, kind of the kosher laws of what animals they can and can't eat. Um, No bacon. Alas, yeah. <laughs> um, there's laws about purification. There's laws about skin diseases, specifically leprosy, um, and what they need to do. Which Jesus, there's times where he cleanses lepers and tells them, "All right, go to the priests and offer what they tell you," which is referring back to these chapters. Um, they were under the
1: law of Moses and, yeah. and did those things. And there's also some really cool things. I mean, leprosy was seen as, and really, in a lot of ways, was incurable. I mean, it was something that that you were. It's almost a death warrant if you were to get something like that and the Messiah comes on the scene and he's healing lepers. There's a whole lot more to say about that. But Leviticus 13 and 14 should impress us more with what Jesus is doing in the New Testament in Luke 17 and in Mark 1 and other places where he heals lepers.
0: Amen. So uh, there's, there's laws about bodily fluids and some, some kind of awkward things in these chapters, but all of these have to do with the idea of ritual purity. And I want to be clear here that in this section, not each of these things was necessarily a sin um, to become ceremonially unclean by touching a particular type of fluid or by... Um, touching a dead body. Yeah, things like that. There, there's connections to these things that like make you ceremonially unclean. That you don't bring something into God's presence that represents death or represents, uh, you know, disease or things like that. Um, but not all of this is like sin or not sin because mm-hmm. some of these things are like there's regulations about giving birth to a child. There's nothing sinful about giving birth to a child, sure. but it does make you ceremonially unclean for a specific amount of time. And so that's just helpful to, to note as we go through is it's not like, oh, it's a sin to have a baby or like it's a sin to, you know, to touch this or that necessarily. Um, but these do make you ceremonially clean, and there are procedures for cleansing so that then you can go to the tabernacle for sacrifices or go to the feast days or things like that.
1: And Stephen, is it fair to say in a lot of ways, like with the manor rules and the, some of the other things that they've already experienced, this is serving as a test um, of their faith and their trust in God if they will do things exactly the way that God said to do them? That's exactly right.
0: And I mean, this is
1: detailed, and there's a lot to
0: take in here and a lot of things that would have been probably pretty inconvenient for the people to do, but that would have been important to please God and say, "Yeah, we're going to keep these laws. We're going to do the ceremonial washings and uh, these kinds of things um, because God is holy." And these were constant daily reminders of cleanliness and holiness in every area of their life. So, kind of the the heart of Leviticus is in Leviticus 16 and 17. Is actually kind of a, a symmetrical pattern in Le- Leviticus that leads up to this centerpiece of the Day of Atonement. And it's once a year, seventh month, tenth day, on which atonement is made for the nation. And there's a special sacrifice made. This is the one day of the year that the high priest can enter through the veil into the most holy place, and sprinkle blood there there's lots of different procedures that he would do to make atonement first for himself and then on yeah, the part of the people yeah i was
1: about to say he has to be pure and, and holy uh, verse 4 of uh, leviticus 16 he shall put on the holy t- uh, linen tunic and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban these are holy garments then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on so mm-hmm. like he has all of these like pure holy garments and then it's like and take a bath. Like you, <laughs> oh, yeah. you have got to be holy and clean uh, ceremonially and r- ritualistically as you walk in to God. I also like to point out that this Day of Atonement rule or law is handed out. It says in verse 1, um, Now Yahweh spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. Everyone's on high alert at this point, I would imagine. They're ready to listen up and say, okay, all right we got to get this right. We need to listen. we got to do it exactly the way God said. So one of the more important or one of the biggest laws that we see when it comes to sacrifices comes right after Nadab and Abihu had died.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. This chapter in chapter 16 is also where we see the two goats um, offered. And in, offered in different ways. One of the goats is offered as a sin offering to Yahweh. And the other goat, this is where the priest would place both of his hands on the head of that goat and confess the sins of the people over it. And then the goat would be released out into the wilderness. And the idea is that now this sin-bearing goat is is released out away from the camp, away from the people, um, and taken care of. That the sin problem is carried far away. So there's different ways that sin is symbolically being taken care of in these pictures. One is that through the, the shedding of the blood... Of the, of the one goat and then through the sending out of the other goat. Uh, this is traditionally called a scapegoat. So if you've ever wondered where that term comes from, it's from Leviticus 16, uh, depending on your translation. And uh, yeah, so it's just interesting seeing God is making provision for the forgiveness of sins in all of these pictures here.
1: Stephen, what do you make of uh, chapter 16:14? 14, um, after this bull has been sacrificed? Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side also in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times what's some of the symbolism behind the mercy seat and blood being sprinkled on it
0: yeah I mean this is the place where atonement is made the idea of
1: the mercy seat
0: is the idea of like a mercy maker um it's the idea actually in the New Testament it's a fancy word propitiation yeah and uh, if you come across that word just think of a mercy maker or a place of mercy and um this was a special place. Uh, again, the high priest just goes there once a year. It's kind of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It's called the Mercy Seat. It has these two cherubim. And it's representing as close as you can get on earth to God's presence, at least symbolically. God is everywhere. But um, this is where the blood is sprinkled. There, there is a blood that has been shed to make atonement, and it is offered up there sprinkled on the Mercy Seat, And God sees the blood and says, okay, this has been paid for. Uh, a death has occurred, to for me to make atonement for sins. One of the important things to note about all these sacrifices and the blood of bulls and goats, we, we're going to find out
1: that ultimately the
0: blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins.
1: Yeah, that's Hebrews ten, right?
0: All of this is a symbol mm-hmm. pointing forward to the blood of the only Son of God. That is the what? What can wash away my
1: sins? Yeah, nothing. nothing. But the
0: blood but the blood of Jesus. So all of these sacrifices, all of these rituals are really just pointing us to the cross yeah, that's and the right. sacrifice that Jesus will make. And
1: it's something John the Baptist understood. In John 1, it records for us as John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some really cool New Testament stuff uh, applies. Ultimately, all this is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's right. So the Day of Atonement was kind of the spiritual high point of the year. Mm -hmm.
0: And we'll talk more about the calendar days in just a minute. Um, But in Leviticus 18 through 20, kind of coming down from the center of this um, symmetry, there's laws about moral purity in Leviticus 18 through 20. And this is where there's a lot of laws about uh, sexual ethics, uh, who you can and can't marry. And in chapter 19, there's a very important verse that's just kind of tucked away as you read these various laws uh, for how you treat your neighbor, how you treat animals, all different kinds of questions. But in um, verse uh, uh, Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You, not, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, or mm-hmm. I am Yahweh. Sounds oddly familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, when asked about the greatest commandments, Jesus quotes from two different passages in the first five books of the Bible. He quotes from Deuteronomy and says, You love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he quotes from right here in Leviticus, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so right in the middle of you know just these various laws... One of, the, one of the most important things is thrown in there, in the middle. And that's why it's important to read these things.
1: Uh, sometimes it's it's hard to kind of yeah. wade through it,
0: but there are such important things in here
1: as we work through it. Yeah, going a little bit further in Leviticus 19, verse 33, he says, When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. I think it's kind of cool that he relates this this law to them in a very personal way. Hey, when a stranger comes in, be nice to him. You know why? Because you know what it's like to be a stranger in a land. Um, and that's really where this idea comes, you know, treat others the same way you would want to be treated. That's right. Put yourself in their shoes. Um, empathy, sympathy. I can never remember, remember which one it is. But, <laughs> you know, think about being in where they are, and maybe you were where they are. And it can be so easy to forget that as well, by the way. As we have already learned from this this uh, generation, they s- so easily forget what it's like to be in Egypt, to be slaves in Egypt. But God is reminding them of that as they think about how they deal with other people.
0: Yeah, amen. So there's a kind of a, a corresponding section next in Leviticus 21 and 22 about the holiness of the priests. And there's a variety of different uh, manifestations of holiness and cleanliness for the priests uh, in these chapters. And um, uh, some more laws about the offerings that they're supposed to make and how they're supposed to do that. And um, he, the, the Lord, I, I like the, the instruction given right at the end of chapter 22. It says in chapter 22, verses 30. 1 through 33 so you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. And you'll find a lot of statements like that sprinkled throughout Leviticus about this is rooted in the character of God. And all of these seemingly arbitrary rules are rooted in God is holy. He's rescued you, and he's trying to teach you something through all of these laws and ordinances that he gives to the priests and really to the whole nation. I remember back in Exodus, we talked about there to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to God. So I just think that's kind of a cool moment at the end of chapter 22 there. Um, The the final uh, section of at least the the body of Leviticus um, has to do with the feast days. Chapters 23 through 25 talk about seven major feasts, some of them more famous than others. Yeah,
1: and man, it... Coming from someone who was not raised Jewish, obviously, it is so easy to confuse these and even forget that some of them exist. So it's kind of cool if you ever take the time to read through them, and then it kind of gives you a look into the New Testament where some of them will come up, and Jesus will be celebrating some of these same feast days that are recorded here. Yes. So
0: you've got, like, the Sabbath, which is a weekly observance. You've got the Passover, which is a yearly observance, feast fruits, uh, feast of weeks. We won't go through all of these. But again, I like to think of these as the rhythms of covenant. Mm-hmm. Just like in a marriage, there's particular special days that you have when you have a relationship with that person. There's, of course, your anniversary, but there may be other small days like the day that you proposed or birthdays and then your kids' birthdays. and like It's just the rhythms of being in a family, the rhythms of being in a covenant relationship with someone. And so God, as he's forming this relationship, this covenant with his people, he gives them rhythms to be in. The whole year kind of revolves around these days, preparing for them, coming out of them. And it gives a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose to, okay, like this is, we're remembering our time in Egypt with the Passover, what God has done for us. We're working toward the day of atonement where mm-hmm. God's going to forgive
1: our sins. these to booths. Oh. Yeah, that's another really good one where they had to think about the fact that they were slaves, or excuse me, uh, exiles in a wilderness. Mm-hmm. and um, that's right. You know, having to set up the booths ever tents is actually probably a better word for that. Um, but yeah, th- this is all really important for us to think about when we look at our deliverance from God. Uh, we have to be constantly thinking about that because it steers our direction, it steers the way we go each and every day. And with that said, These things were supposed to be a blessing, weren't they, Stephen? Mm -hmm. And what you kind of see in the New Testament is the Pharisees had turned some of these things into a curse. And that's exactly what Jesus will actually say to them is the Sabbath day was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. These things are a blessing, not a curse. And that's exactly what they end up turning them into. Uh, God wants us to remember these things, and Lord willing, once we get into the book of um, Joshua, we'll see a bunch of memorial rocks that are also set up to encourage remembering what God had done for these people. It's mm-hmm. super cool to see, and these feast days are no different. Yeah, amen. So the book of Leviticus wraps up with a pretty,
0: pretty lengthy chapter in chapter twenty-six of blessings and curses for if they're going to keep the law or not. Um, And there are great blessings that God promises if they will keep his laws and continue in a covenant relationship with him. And there's a much longer section, actually, about the curses for disobedience. If they rebel against God, ignore his laws that are good for them, um, there's a lot of consequences uh, given. And, I mean, there's even things, there's a lot of very specific things about exile and what's going to happen to them that are walked through here in Leviticus. There's going to be some blessings and curses repeated for the new generation at the end of the book of Deuteronomy as well. Uh, We'll get to that later. But I just think it's powerful to see how God uses both positive and negative motivation Mm -hmm. for his people. There are blessings and there are curses. Um, And the Lord wants us to love him, but there's also an element of fear in serving the Lord and understanding what he expects of us. Um, And again, Nadab and Abihu is an example from this book about that. But all of these things point us back to God. Um, The end of Leviticus, chapter 27, there are some laws about vows, uh, kind of maybe as an addendum at the end of the book. But this whole book has just been about approaching the presence of God, whether it's an individual person uh, wanting to make atonement for their sins and walk in holiness, or whether it's one of the priests who is making atonement on behalf of other people and approaching the 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 tabernacle and going into the presence of god there um, all of this allows god's
1: people to draw near to him that's really kind of the point of the book yeah and what's really cool about this word atonement um i don't know if you had said this earlier Stephen, if i missed it but uh, i like the way i've heard you describe it as at one oh yeah um, just kind of breaking down that word and That's really the goal, right? That's been the goal since the garden. We want to be one with God. That's what we want. And God is going, okay, here it is. Here's the way you can be at one with me. And all of these things point forward to the Christ, the Son of God, the the one that is ultimately going to be the propitiation, that fun word that we brought up earlier. The mercy maker. mercy maker that Jesus is going to be. And if you want more information on that word propitiation and how it's used in the New Testament, just jot this down and read it later. Romans three twenty one through 26. That's where it really spells it out really well for us. Yeah. Um, but God's wrath against sin is real. Um, and that's very clear. We saw that with Nadab and Abihu. Sin cannot go unpunished. But on the other hand, God is a merciful God. He wants to forgive. He wants to have a relationship with us. These sacrifices, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, is the perfect way that, as Romans says, God is able to be both just and the justifier. He is able to give us the gift that will suffice and satisfy the wrath of God towards sin as the sin of us is put on Jesus. So, beautiful things to see out of the book of Leviticus that all point to Jesus.
0: Yeah, amen. So it's important to remember, like, we've got some narrative uh, sections kind of sprinkled in, like Nadab and Abihu and some different things that happen. But this whole time, Israel is camped at Mount Sinai. Uh, they came to Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 19, and the rest of Exodus, they're just camped there at the mountain. So and how many Moses years are we going looking up at and down They spend, give or take, two years at Mount Sinai okay. receiving these laws. Moses is going up and down. Again, he spends like... 40 days on two of those trips. That's right. like two months, almost three months, you know, just for those trips. And so there's a lot of stuff going on in the meantime. We breeze through this um, and it's just covering big chunks of time. So they've spent almost two years at Sinai and the book of Numbers picks up with Moses. Again, he's able to enter the tent now. He's That's cool. He speaks to God in the tent, verse one. But the first four chapters of Numbers are uh, going to be. Them getting ready to leave Sinai, that the people are numbered. Uh, there's two numberings of the people. That's why the book is called the Book of Numbers. Right. Um, is there's a numbering at the beginning, a numbering toward the end of the book, and so uh, this generation is numbered and arranged. And God gives them marching orders. Uh, he gives them how they're going to arrange when they camp, how they're going to be arranged when they march. The, the Levites are subdivided into the sons of Levi, and they're given different duties with transporting the tabernacle. Because of course, this is a this is a mobile building that they're going to tear down and build up. You know, every place that they go and camp, so that God can travel
1: with them um, and uh, dwell in the midst of His people. By the way, these people are a lot of people at this point, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, looking at Numbers one forty six, it would be. Even all the number of men were six hundred three thousand five hundred fifty. I, I mean, like, that's the men. That's not all mm-hmm. of them. I think it's safe to say there are over a million people at this point, and that that's a that's a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. like that. that's bigger than the state of Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. So, <laughs> uh, or close to it there. So, anyways, there's it, a lot of people that live there. Yeah, in intense in It's just it's just really wild to think about. It is. So, this is. Um
0: they're continuing, uh, getting ready to leave Sinai um, in chapters 1 through, through 4. And then um, there's going to be some more laws given in this section, including things like the Nazarite vow, which becomes significant later with like Samson and John the Baptist. Um, and there's also the, uh, the priestly blessing at the end of chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. It's going found famous things from this section. Um, And then there's these 12 days of offering, a really long chapter, chapter 7. And again, just various laws about the the Levites. And then there's the first keeping of the Passover um, in chapter 9 as they begin. And and there's an extra note here about a kind of a makeup Passover, the little Passover that is given um, in in this chapter for some people who are unclean for the actual Passover. That the next month when they're cleansed, they can come and uh, take of that. So um Israel doesn't actually leave Mount Sinai. They arrived in Exodus 19. They leave Mount Sinai in chap- numbers chapter 10 mm-hmm. verse 11. is yep. yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. when the cloud actually moves out and now Israel came to the mountain as a bunch of escaped slaves and you know kind of in disarray and now they are marching away from the mountain in formation, with a tabernacle. Um, This is a changed people. They now have a covenant relationship with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they know how to serve him. So we're going to see how they do as they go back into the wilderness. Um, Again, we haven't actually reached the 40 years yet. Yes, Um, That's coming at the end of the book of Numbers. Um, There is about a three-month journey uh, to get there, and I think it's only going to be about 11 days uh, from Sinai
1: to actually get to their next destination. Yeah. These people know where they're going, okay? Like, it's not like we, we're here wandering in the wilderness and we think, oh wow, it's like they just didn't have a good GPS, uh, they didn't have Marvin <laughs> or, or Siri or whatever, you know? No, they they did. Because like if you look down in chapter 10, uh, 33, then they set out from the Mount of the Lord, three days' journey with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, journeying in front of them for the three days to seek out a resting place for them. The cloud of Yahweh was over them by day when they set out from the camp. They're following it. They, they know which way they need to go. Um, and it's really cool. It came about when the Ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. When it came to rest, he said, Return, O Yahweh, to the myriad thousands of, of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, just imagine the like cold chills that go down your neck as you're like part of that group that's marching to the land. You're, you're going toward the Mount of the Lord, and uh, God's been with you this whole time. It's really cool to think about. Yeah, amen. And then that gets to chapter 11.
0: <laughs> and we find out that it's the same old generation of people. They have God's laws and, and know what they need to do but they're like the rest of us, and they're still complaining.
1: Can I, can I read it? I, I, this yeah. is one of my favorites. Uh, the, the ra- uh, this is Numbers 11, verse 4. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish, which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Just a brief reminder: Manna was rained down from heaven from God. You know, like this is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> There's nothing to look at but this stuff that God gave me. You know, and again, laugh all we want at Israel here. Do the same thing. Oh man, how many times have we been guilty of taking for granted something that is life-giving that God's given to us? Um, all the time we do that, mm-hmm. and so th- let's be careful not to laugh at them too hard. But first, look at ourselves and see that we do the same thing. We need to be careful. Yeah. So Moses
0: uh, gets pretty discouraged, understandably, you know, after suffering with the people as he has. Um, and the Lord, uh, he makes intercession for the people. And God, um, he, he helps Moses here. Remember, uh, Jethro gave Moses some good advice we talked about last time, where he has him delegate some of the authority. Um, The first time they're on the way to Sinai and now on the way out from Sinai, um, the Lord has Moses gather 70 elders who are appointed over the people and um, they're going to help him uh, to bear the burden of leading this people, especially a people kind of as stubborn and rebellious as this generation is. Um, There's this interesting little story in here about Eldad and Medad prophesying in the camp and uh, Joshua gets jealous on behalf of Moses and says, hey, they're doing this. And the Lord, you just see Moses here being so humble. I uh, love Numbers eleven twenty-nine. Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Um, Moses is not uh, protective or territorial about leading the people of God. He's been given a great honor and privilege and blessing to do that but he's not trying to push other people out of leadership. Um, so I just appreciate Moses' humility here. We're going to see that again in chapter 12 mm-hmm. where Miriam and Aaron come up against Moses and say, oh, you're, you, we ought to be a part of this as well, basically. And uh, it says in 12.3, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face <laughs> of the earth. Now, I think this is a later scribe, you know, writing this, not Moses writing about himself. But... Um, Man, the meekness of Moses in the face of just rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. And even on these these short travels, uh, is just amazing to see how patient Moses is and how patient the Lord is as well with his people. Yeah,
1: and so God in this moment, um, he's obviously upset with Aaron and Miriam. He calls all three of them out to the tent of meeting. So they come out in verse 4. You see the parent calling the kids. Yeah, exactly. Come Come on up. Come here. Stand right here. And in verse 5, Then Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and he called Aaron and Miriam. By the way, this is not like peaceful. This would be absolutely terrifying. That's kind of the point. And when they had both come forward, uh, God said, um, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall not speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in the dark sayings, And he beholds to the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them. And he departed. And when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. So they, they're they obviously punished for their, their complaining, their murmuring against Moses. Uh, they needed to be happy with the positions that God had given them.
0: Yeah. And Moses, he intercedes for her and says, the Lord, please heal her. And uh, he, the Lord uh, does heal her. She has to be cleansed from that. But... Um... Again, the, these stories as they journey to Canaan, they're getting to the promised land. It leaves us a little bit on itch. You know, we've had a lot of good news for Leviticus and the first part of Numbers. God's been so good to them, giving them everything they need. But now we're like, man, what's going to happen when they get to the land? Right. Um, and so we're going to pause here uh, and pick up next episode, Lord willing, with what happens when they actually arrive at the land of
1: Canaan. And spoiler alert. It's not going to go well. Yeah, it really does in a lot of ways. Remind me of Jesus' disciples. Like as you're reading through it, you're like, I don't know if these guys are going to make it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But um, by God's grace, we know that the disciples do make it. Um, but we'll see a different outcome for these Israelites who were used as an example many times in Scripture, especially in the Book of Hebrews three and four. Mm-hmm. So, um, Lord willing, we will pick up there next week.
0: All right. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. That will help us reach more people. If you'd like to study with us online or in person, reach out 717-585-0949 or shoot us an email at capitalcitychristians@gmail.com at gmail.com. Or for more information on group studies uh, or other information, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.